Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Genesis. Tonight is study number two of Genesis chapter seven. And we're looking at the first three verses. And Jehovah said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Of every clean beast thou shalt take to thee by sevens, the male and his female, and of beasts that are not clean by two, the male and his female, of fowls also of the air, by sevens, the male and the female, to keep seed alive upon the face of all the earth. I'll stop reading there. Now, um, in our last study, we were looking at the statement that God made in verse 1, when he spoke unto Noah, and he said, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. And we saw how um, it, it was Noah and his household, his wife, his three sons and their wives, eight souls all together, that were delivered um, as they came on board the ark. They, they were delivered from the flood, and, and God saved them from the physical destruction of the flood. Now, we don't know. In every case, it seems likely and very possible that God did save all eight souls, Noah's immediate family, for all we know. That is the language of the Bible. It's, it's without question the picture being painted by God is that these eight represent the elect. But we also saw that so did the animals. All of the animals, they were a remnant of the whole of the animal kingdom that were brought on board were likewise delivered. Now, in chapter 7, verse 1, after saying, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, which reminds us of the spiritual house that the Lord God built, Whose house are we? And Christ as a son over his own house. And in this case, Noah can be used as a type and a figure of Christ and his house. So Noah's house was saved just as Christ's spiritual house, the body of true believers, is saved by God. And then it says, For thee have I seen righteous before me, in this generation. And this reminds us, back in the previous chapter, Genesis 6, verses 8 and 9, it said, But Noah found grace in the eyes of Jehovah. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. And we looked at that when we went through chapter 6. 
And, and we saw that is true of everyone that God saves. God saves us by grace. Uh, we become just and righteous in His sight. And, and we walk with God as we keep His commandments. Walking with the Lord is walking in the Word of God. Now, the statement that the Lord makes in verse 1 is interesting because he again is speaking to Noah and he tells him to come in with his house. Then he says, For thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Not for them, for you and them. The rest of Noah's house is not included in the statement. God is uh, focusing on the prophet Noah himself and not his family. And the reason is, the reason that Noah and his righteousness is emphasized can be found in Romans chapter 5 and verse 19. There it says, For as by one man's disobedience, that's Adam, many were made sinners. So, by the obedience of one, that's Jesus Christ, shall many be made righteous. So, God is referring to Noah's righteousness only, yet, in a way, it's imputed to his house. And, of course, it's likely that that other souls, his sons and their wives, and Noah's wife herself, were saved, and therefore we're likewise righteous in God's sight. But as far as the spiritual picture goes, Noah is a type of the Savior, Jesus Christ. And the Savior delivers his people through his righteousness. His righteousness is counted for theirs. All right, let's go on to verse 2 of Genesis 7. Of every clean beast, thou shalt take to thee by sevens the male and his female. And of beasts that are not clean by two, the male and his female. And and also verse 3, of fowls also of the air by sevens, the male and the female, to keep seed alive upon the face of all the earth. We're going to discuss... Insofar as the animals are concerned, we've already seen they're a picture of those that God saves. Yet now God is breaking or dividing the animals into two groups. Clean animals and not clean animals. And one group of clean animals you're to take by seven and the other by two. Now, uh, we do need to point out one thing. It, it's um, it's sort of uh, uh, just the mechanics of it, of the historical situation. And that is that God told Noah to take clean animals. Every clean beast thou shalt take to thee by sevens, the male and his female. And right away we have a problem. If the command is to take seven clean animals, let's say seven sheep, 
and yet the command is also to take the animals, the male and his female. Well, you you can't have pairs if you have seven. You can have three pairs, and then you're going to have one sheep by itself, either male or female. And so we have to understand that the clean beast that is to be taken by sevens is referring to seven pairs. Seven pairs, male and female, which would total 14 of the clean animals. They were to be taken on board. Now later, in Genesis chapter 9, I think, maybe even at the end of chapter 8, some animals are offered for sacrifice. So God has his purposes uh, or his reasons for why there are to be so many clean animals. It's even possible, although the language here doesn't really get into this area, but it's it's a possibility because we know that animals could be eaten, um, that, that some of the animals were to be eaten, but that kind of language is not found in chapter 6 in the preparation. When we look up the two Hebrew words translated as food in Genesis 6.21, both pointed us to herbs and fruit of trees and so forth, and and none of it identified with um, food from animals. And one reason that God could not be um, giving us uh, a look into that area is because the animals typify something and represent something. So since the Bible doesn't get into that area, we're not going to, and we're not going to say they were eating the animals on board the ark. That that would be speculation. But there were seven pairs, not seven individual animals. And we can know this if we turn to Genesis 7, verse 15. It says, And they went in unto Noah into the ark, two and two of all flesh, wherein is the breath of life. This is why some people think that there were just exclusively two pairs of every animal because of this statement. And they're not familiar with the command to bring seven clean beasts. But the two and two would be one pair of clean sheep, the next pair, the third pair, the fourth pair, fifth pair, sixth, seventh pair, and then the next clean animal, two and two. It also says in verse 16, And they that went in, went in male and female of flesh, as God had commanded him, and Jehovah shut him in. So, in both cases, we find no exceptions. We do not find that the language of the Bible allows for uh, an oddball, an animal that's the seventh without a mate. In both, it says they went in two by two, and they went in male and female. Every animal had a mate, and there was no single animals that were boarding the ark. Well, that, that's just something we need to clarified. Now we need to um, try and understand why the division of animals between clean and unclean. And it, it is the case 
that when God says of every clean beast thou shalt take to thee by sevens, the clean beasts are pointing to those that have been cleansed from sin. For instance, in Leviticus 12, it says in verse 8, If she be not able to bring a lamb, then she shall bring two turtles or two young pigeons, the one for the burnt offering and the other for a sin offering, and the priest shall make an atonement for her, and she shall be clean. This is um, purifying, I think, after childbirth. Uh, that's being referred to in Leviticus 13, verse 17. And the priest shall see him, and behold, if the plague be turned into white, then the priest shall pronounce him clean, that hath the plague, he is clean. And this is speaking of a leper. And in the Bible, leprosy typifies sin. And when Jesus would cleanse a leper... Or when Naaman the Syrian dipped himself in the Jordan seven times and was washed, cleansed from his leprosy, that was a picture of salvation. And again and again, this word clean identifies with salvation. We'll just go to one more verse in Psalm 51 and in verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a right spirit within me. And of course, man's natural heart, since the fall, is desperately wicked, deceitful above all things, and very filthy. And needs to be cleansed and purged. And that's what salvation does. When God takes out that dirty, rotten heart of stone and replaces it with a new heart and a new spirit, he has created a clean heart. That's why First John tells us that the one born again does not sin. There's no sin in that heart. That's what being clean is. And there's no sin counted to the elect children of God. And these clean beasts are picturing God's elect. They're brought on board the ark. They, they come in pairs by sevens. And they typify the elect. But it also says in verse 2, And of beasts that are not clean by two, the male and his female. So if the clean beasts represent the elect, what does the unclean beasts represent? It doesn't actually say unclean. It says beasts that are not clean. And they came by two. Well, when we look into the Bible, we find that God speaks of delivering the creation, of saving the creation. That's the language of the Bible in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us for the earnest expectation of the creature, and the word creature can be translated as creation, for the earnest expectation of the creation waiteth for the manifestation 
of the sons of God. For the creature or creation, actually, uh, let me just stop for a second to point out the word creation is being used interchangeably with creature. And a beast is a creature. And, and actually, the animals are, after mankind, the highest order of creation. We have man that has dominion over all, and then we have the animals that have a breath of life. The animals that have some intelligence, much more than a rock or a tree or, or plants or, or dirt. The animals are next in line, and so they are an excellent option to typify the entire creation. And so here, again in Romans 8.20, for the creature, or creation, was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Because the creature, or creation, itself, also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Now, if that verse were not speaking of a creature or the creation, we would uh, definitely um, understand it as involved with salvation. It, it speaks of delivered from bondage of corruption into glorious liberty. We we can find that kind of language elsewhere that does identify with God's magnificent salvation program. And yet here, it's the creature itself, the creation itself, that is to be delivered from the bondage of corruption. So when we see uh, historically in the account of the building of the ark, the loading of the animals and the animals entering into the ark, we can look at that as God's salvation program. And the animals, the clean animals, do typify people that God has saved. They they are types and figures of the elect that have had their sins washed and cleansed. And on the other hand, the unclean animals, well, they're still experiencing the bondage of corruption, looking to be delivered from it. They, they, uh, still have a sense of uncleanness about them, or they're not clean. They're not clean. And, and so, as God had Noah load these animals onto the ark, of course, historically, it was to to make sure they they didn't perish, that they did not go extinct, and and it was necessary to load all these animals, uh, to house all these animals on the ark to deliver them, so their species would survive, and their uh, type would continue. Yet in doing so, by having unclean animals. They are animals that are longing. Look what it says in verse 22 of Romans 8. 
For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. The creation, not you and me, we have our own groaning and going on. And of course, God's people have their righteous souls vexed from day to day. But God here is speaking of the creation, the creatures, the highest order of the creation. It's as though they are greatly desiring to be delivered from the bondage of corruption, from the taint of sin, from the curse upon the whole world and universe, from death. Because all animals die, just like all people die since the fall. And God is, as it were, putting words in the creation's mouth, and not only words, but feelings. We know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. And here we have the creation groaning, travailing in pain, in anticipation, in waiting for the new heavens and the new earth to come to pass. Because once God creates anew, once he destroys this world and then speaks again and creates this glorious, perfect new earth and new heavens, and then in all likelihood he'll create new creatures to inhabit the new creation, that will be just as the animals or the creation has been delivered finally. The, the creation to come is a picture of the salvation, in a sense, the deliverance of this creation. Just as God's people look forward and we also groan within ourselves waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body, a new resurrected body, well, so too is the situation with the animals. See how in Romans 8, God has put the two together. It's as though you have the elect, the whole company of the elect on one hand, that are eagerly looking forward to the great day when all these things are fulfilled, when God's word is completed. And on the other hand, you have the creation. And within the creation, the animals that are likewise looking to that great day. Well, both come together on board the ark. The clean beasts by seven and the unclean, or I keep saying that, that God doesn't use that word. He says not clean. The not clean animals board by two and and then the door shuts. They, the, all the animals came into the ark two by two, by pairs, male and his female. And finally, after all the animals, all the people, everyone 
to board was boarded, then God shut him in. God shut the door of the ark, and the voyage began. And the voyage was to go through the flood, the first 40 days of rain, as the waters lifted up and, and waters came from beneath and waters from the heavens above and the water overcame the earth for five months, 15 cubits above the highest mountain, and the unclean animals remained unclean all throughout the five months, and then as the water began to recede and go down, and and they saw the tops of the mountains, and finally the ark rested on Mount Ararat, and, and the dove went forth and brought back the olive leaf plucked off, the the unclean animals remained unclean all the way through because judgment day, the 17th day of the second month of Noah's 600th year and what it pointed to, May 21, 2011, 7,000 years later to the equivalent date, was not the end of the world And it was not the time of the deliverance of the creation. The creation today, for example, five years plus after May 21, 2011, after Judgment Day has begun, is still groaning, still travailing in pain, still waiting for that great deliverance to be delivered from the bondage of corruption and to be created anew. And so the figure of the flood and the maintaining of the unclean animals is actually very accurate. Very accurate because it points to the creation that will remain not clean throughout the prolonged judgment. There'll be no change. There'll be no um, cleansing of them. There will be no deliverance in that sense until God finally comes at the end of the prolonged spiritual judgment to destroy the world physically, it literally, in actuality. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.